Are you ready for the Word of God now? Okay, let's go now to... We are in a series in the book of 1 Peter, and we have come to a very interesting passage now on 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read for you from verse 8 all the way to verse 17. If we, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 17. Listen to what the apostle uh, Peter said. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but on the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Lord, I pray this morning that you would anoint our eyes to see wonderful things from your Scripture. Lord, I pray that this passage in 1 Peter 3 will come alive for all of us. Send us away from this place with clear instructions of what it means for us to be the body of Christ, what it means for us to be the church. And I invite you now to speak as your servants hear us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, the church has often been likened to a pack of porcupines. Now, can you imagine all of us are porcupines, right? We are put together in a box on a cold winter night. And because we are cold, we draw together to keep warm. But when we draw together, we prick one another. When we prick one another, we draw apart. When we draw apart, we feel cold, so we come together. When we come together, we prick one another, so we draw apart. And then we come together because we feel cold. And then we prick one another, we draw apart. And then we come together and we draw apart. We come together and we draw apart. It's like a, in, it's like a tribal war dance. You know, you get that feeling? Now, let me ask you, does this sound like church? I hope not. <laughs> But, you know, it's true. Leslie Flynn once wrote a book you know, entitled Church Conflict. And in his book, he's got this interesting poem that goes like this. He said, To dwell above with the saints we love, now that is grace and glory. But to live below with the saints we know, now that's another story. <laughs> and, you know, we can all be nice from far, but actually far from nice. And that, I think, is a challenge of relationship. Now, why do I bring this up? I bring this up because up to this point in his epistle, the Apostle Peter has spoken to us, right, clearly about what, what we have been saved from. And then he goes on to tell us what we were saved for, right? We were saved from sin and death and all that, but we are saved for what? And then he tells us that we now have a new relationship, 
Uh, we have many new relationships. Firstly, with God, we have a new relationship. With our government, we have a new relationship. With our employers, and then with our family, we have new relationships. But this morning, he's going to talk to us about the new relationship we have as a family of God, as a church. So I think this is going to be relevant for every single one of us. See, he's going to tell us now in the passage that we just read, we were saved to be a family. We were never meant to walk alone. We were called to be in community like this. And we were never meant to be in cliques. We were never meant to be in clubs or in silos. And it is natural that we can only relate to that many people at any one time. And the Apostle Peter understands that. And we should understand that. And that's the reason why, brothers and sisters, we have connect groups in the church. Connect groups that are smaller so that we can relate and really lift out all these principles that I'm going to share about. And this, all these connect groups are also aligned to one another so that we can become one big spiritual family. But we must also know that being a family sometimes can be bittersweet, right? We want to draw near, but when we draw near, we can prick one another. And that's when we learn that actually our faith should be rooted in Jesus and not just Christians. Are you with me? I think Christian community is very important. It's critical for our growth. But at the same time, we need to understand our faith is ultimately rooted in Christ and not just in the belonging that we have in a community like this. See, why? Because we are imperfect people. All of us come from different backgrounds, cultures, upbringing, and personalities. But yet God has called us all to become one. And it is when we learn to be one, because we are so rooted in Christ, we know how to relate to one another, that is when we be, the world is going to know that we are disciples of Christ. When we truly love one another as a family of Christ, that's when we all become pillars of strength. We all become pillars of support to one another, especially during tough times, during times of suffering, and in the context of 1 Peter, even in the context of persecution. That's how they were able to go through what they went through. It's because they have one another. See, so from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 to 17, the Apostle Peter now goes on to paint for us a glorious picture of what the church can look like, even in times of persecution. And I want to, pay, I want to outline for you now six pictures that the Apostle Peter gave us concerning the church. What are we supposed to be like? He paints for us six things. Here, here they are. Number one, we are supposed to be a united family. You look at 1 Peter 3 verse 8. He says, finally, all of you be like-minded. That's the first thing he said, be like-minded. The word like-minded in the Greek is the word homophron, which actually means to think the same thing. To be like-minded, to think the same thing, to have the same mind. If I could put it in today's lingo, it means to be on the same page. That we all are on the same page. It is not an organizational unity that he's talking about here. 
right? He's talking about what's inside, not what's, not, not what's on the outside. He says, be like-minded. That's the root. Be on the same page. Think the same thing. Uh, it, it's, it's not about organizational unity on the outside. It's not like we all put on the same uniform, then we are now united. You know, or we wear the same T-shirt. Everybody say kinetic, kinetic, kinetic. That means we are one. Uh, not necessary because it's not even about reciting the same mantra. You know, it's not even, oh, we are all disciple-making church. We are all disciple-making church. That's a mantra. But it's more than this kind of external thing. You know, it's, it's more than just being able to sing a, a song like, Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are, where we come from. So we tell them, blah, blah, blah. But you don't agree on anything. You understand what I mean? We can have all that mantra, but it means nothing if we are really not on the same page. It's not a unity on the outside. It's a unity on the inside. Hello? Yes. You with me? It's a unity in the heart and in the mind. It's having the same mind of Christ. See, Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 1 and 2, he describes it this way. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Same word. Having the same love. Being one in spirit and of one mind. If we are truly united, we can actually have consensus on many, many things. You know why? We are all ruled by one mind, which is the mind of Christ. You may ask me, is this at all possible, Pastor? I believe the answer is yes, provided the rest of the six pictures can be a reality. So let's explore further. The first is this. We were meant to be a united family. Right? Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, we are family. Uh, some, some of you truly are. <laughs> we are family. All right? Says number two. We are supposed to be a sympathetic family. Look at 1 Peter 3.8 now. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be what? Sympathetic. That word sympathetic, sympathetic, actually means suffering or feeling with another. So what is he talking about? We are, we, it means we share one another's joy and sufferings. When one rejoices, everybody rejoices. If one is grieved, the others grieve with him. So moments like what we just had with Pastor Ching Lai, it's a moment where together as a family, we rejoice over the life of another person. In your cell group, when someone is going through a tough time and everybody surrounds them and pray for them, what are we doing? We're grieving together. That is sympathy. It contains elements of empathy and sympathy. The Red Indians will put it this way, walk a mile in my moccasin. No, to be in the same shoes as the person and feel what they are feeling. That's a family, a sympathetic family. Here's number three. It's a loving family, a loving family. First Peter 3.8 goes on to say this. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, and then love one another. If there is one distinguishing mark in Christianity, it would be this, love. Jesus himself had declared that this is a distinctive difference for his disciples. John 13, right? Verse 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
But how is that love fleshed out? Jesus put it this way in 1 John 3.18. Listen to this. John said this. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. In other words, when we say we love one another, it's not just in words or tongue. It's not just in action, but it must be in truth. Don't miss this. It's one thing to say I love you. It's one thing to act like I love you. It's another thing to have my words and my action authentically driven from a heart of love. It's not just in action. It's not just in words. It must be in truth, you see. And this is a fundamental truth because we all know that there are some people who actually wrap us up the wrong way. Do you have people like that around your life? They really wrap you up the wrong way. It's like, you just can't take it, you know. It's not that I don't love you, but I just can't stand the way you... <laughs> and the truth is this, if we depend on our own effort, we have to honestly say we cannot love this person. Isn't it? And I think we all experience things like that. I can try to say the right words to you or even make myself do, carry out the right action. But at some point, I'm going to reach the end of myself. And then I, I will have to give up. And then we, we, we simply don't have what it takes, actually, to love the unlovable. So what do we do? I think the key is this. We need to die to ourselves so that we can depend on God. We need to die to ourselves because we cannot. John the Beloved therefore tell us in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. My friends, love comes from God. God alone is the source of love and not us. And that to me, it's actually good news, you know. It's really good news because now I know I need not try and generate love from within myself. But what I need to do is die to myself and totally depend on God who is a source of love. I need to learn to cry out to God, God, I cannot love this man. I just cannot. Help me. Enable me. Pour your love into me. Love him through me. And then this focus begins to switch away from myself to who my God is. And then we begin to cultivate the ability to love others first by recognizing that we cannot do it without getting to the source, who is God. And then you notice the command is for us to learn to love, not to like. We are commanded to love one another, not to like one another. Do you know we can actually love people we don't like? You think can? We can actually love people we don't really like. Why? Because liking is based on feeling, but love is based on willing. Because if it is all about liking, if I like you, then I love you. If I like you, then I love you. You know what? The church will be filled with one type of people. Basically, your type. <laughs> Whatever your personality is, you know. It's, it, I will end up just with people with common interests with me, similar personalities from me. But guess what? We are not a club, you know that you can join based on common interests. But we are a family, spiritual family, bonded together by a common heavenly Father. 
We are called to be united, sympathetic, loving. Here's number four. And when you have the first three, we can become a caring family. 1 Peter 3.8 says, Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate. This word compassionate in the Greek literally means having strong bowels. <laughs> it's a very crude kind of word. Uh, having strong bowels or tender-hearted. You know, to... Uh, the, the bowers, uh, when you think about bowers, it speaks of something very deep. Uh, right? Deep. Really deep. You know? So that's, that's what it is. Bowers. Compassionate. You know? And it, it means to be deeply sensitive, to be deeply aware of one another. One of the best pictures I can think of to describe this word bowers, or not bowers, uh, compassionate, uh, it's, it's really this, like a, a mother brooding over her newborn baby. You ever seen a mother with a newborn child? She would take the child, look at the baby, observe every expression the baby makes, you know, listen to every sound that comes out, scrutinize every expression the baby makes and all that. Why? Because we are compassionate towards the child. You have deep feelings. You're greatly sensitive to what the child is going through. Just a little bit of sound, the mom will wake up. Why? Because... Mom has great compassion towards the child. Uh, it's a little bit like a fine dining waiter in a, in a fine dining restaurant, right? Before your tea even gets to half filled, they immediately show up and fill it up. Yeah. Wow. Before your chili runs out, they quickly come and pour new ones. Now, that won't happen in normal restaurant. Normal restaurant, just, hello, excuse me, excuse me, and then they walk past you, excuse me. <laughs> because they don't really care, you know. But in a fine dining restaurant, they care. They're concerned about everything. They are sensitive to all that you need. And we are actually called, if we really want to build strong relationships in the church, we need to look out for each other, one another with greater intensity. We need to observe deeply what is going on in each other's life. You with me? Sometimes our, our cell members, you know, people close to us, going through tough times, we don't even know. It's because we are too preoccupied with ourselves. You know, and really, it is to observe deeply what is going on in each other's life. When they come to church, when we greet one another on a Sunday, don't just look at their, their smiling face. Observe their body language. There are things going on in people's life. And then you can ask a little bit deeper, what are you going through? In other words, huh? Be a busy body for Christ. You know, do, do we actually look out for each other? Do we fast over one another? Do we think about each other? Or are we too preoccupied with ourselves? We can never become the community that God is looking for until we become compassionate, tender-hearted, sensitive towards one another. And you cannot do that to everyone, right? How can you do that to a thousand people? That's why we need connect groups. There's just a limit, you know, to how many we can feel deeply for. So my challenge again to all of us, whether you're in a physical campus or you're in an online campus, we all need to belong to a connect group so that we can dare, we can really live out the Christian community. We can live out what 1 Peter 3 is telling us. Got me so far? Here's another one. A humble family. 
How, do you, how can we actually get closer, closer to each other? It's through humility. 1 Peter 3.8, Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. This is one of the distinctive marks of any Christ-centered church. This is, in fact, one of our key culture pillars in FCC. You cannot miss it as you walk into our building. You know, sometimes it's so big, you, you kind of become part of the furniture, you don't notice it, so I tell you. You walk in from the main entrance, you will see four black boards there, right? Those are our culture pillars, and one of them says this, large letters, it says, humble in posture. To be humble in posture. Whether you're a leader, you're a member, we all want to be humble in posture. Why? Because humility comes before honour. Proverbs 18 verse 12, Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honour. And ironically, when, when, the, when Jesus te- taught us about humility in the Greek world at that time, do you know, to call someone humble is actually to insult him. Now in our time, we say, you are such a humble man, we take that as a compliment. But during their time, in the time of the Greeks, to be humble is to insult people. And this is where we get phrases like, my humble home, you know, my humble meal, I eat humble pie. It always means something lowly, small, insignificant. But you know what? Jesus took that concept of humility in their time and he turned it into something great. He took humility, which the Greeks considered to be an insult. He turned it into something of greatness. So Matthew 23, verse 12, For those who exalt themselves, Jesus said, will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Without the undergirding virtue of humility, we cannot build a loving family. We cannot build a loving church. You know why? Because relationships can get messy. Relationships can get messy. And when relational features, you know, sometimes relational fractures happen, right? Even between Christians, because of wrong words, because of wrong actions, relational fractures happen. How many of you agree? It takes humility to seek forgiveness. And it takes humility to extend forgiveness. It does. You know, it it takes humility for one party to say to another, I was wrong, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And then it takes humility from the other side to actually say, yeah, I was hurt. I was, it was really painful, but I forgive you. And it takes humility on both sides to actually reconcile. And then from the ashes of a broken relationship, healing can flow. Marriages can be restored. Relationships can be mended. But it takes two hands to clap. Humility on everybody's part. It takes two to tango, right? And unless you are willing to dance with me, it's not going to happen. So it takes humility on everybody's part to actually build a relationship and to build a church that loves one another. We must be willing to do our part to be the church that God wants us to be by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then when that happens, we need last thing is to be a forgiving family. First Peter 3.9 goes on to say this, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. But on the contrary, 
you repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. What is Peter saying here? It's to say, be forgiving towards one another. That's how we build a family. It's to learn to walk in forgiveness all the time. You know, there's a great story that was told about a five-year-old boy playing with his two-year-old brother in a room, you know. And after a while, there was a scream that came, you know, because the five-year-old was crying. So the mother rushed in and said, what happened, what happened? And the five-year-old said, you know, he pulled my hair. He said, the two-year-old pulled my hair. And so he cried. And then the mom turned to the five-year-old and said, ah, oh, don't worry about it. He's too young. He don't understand. He doesn't know how it feels like to have his hair pulled. And then the mom walks off. A few minutes later, you hear another scream. Ah! This time it's from the two-year-old. Mom rushed in and said, what happened, what happened? And the five-year-old said, you told me he doesn't understand what it feels like to have his hair pulled. Now he knows. <laughs> What's my point? My point is this, you know, every now and then, I think all of us have this tendency, you know, to want to play the role of jury, judge, and executioner at the same time, right? We all have this tendency to want to give others a taste of their own medicine. We want to give them a piece of our mind. We want to give to them rather than to forgive them. <laughs> There's a car bumper sticker that reads like this, you know, to err is human. To forgive is out of the question. <laughs> but you know, without seeking and rendering forgiveness, we can never be a family. We'll all be broken up. But without seeking and, and, and rendering forgiveness, you know, we, we're going to end up rubbing each other up the wrong way all the time. You see, but the only way that we can sustain families and relationships over the long haul is always a willingness to forgive others. Really. This is like the, the thing that keeps family together. You know, how many times my wife has to forgive me? <laughs> Two times, maybe? <laughs> no, many times. Cannot count, you know. And ironically, you know, it was the Apostle Peter, the same person who wrote these verses, who actually asked the Lord once, you know. He asked the Lord how many times he must forgive before he can give it to them. Remember? He came to the Lord once in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 and 22. Listen to this. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Peter thought, not seven times, but 77 times. Peter thought the limit is seven times, but Peter said, uh, Jesus said, no, 77 times. What's he saying? Basically, seven is a, like a number of completion, right? In other words, what he's saying to him is this, stop counting. There is no limit. You cannot keep count. The very fact that Peter was keeping count is where the problem is. And that's what I find couples end up doing. Couples... We are very good at keeping accounts, you know, of all the wrongs that our husbands and wives have done. And when the conflict starts, right, everybody becomes a competent accountant, you know. Everyone becomes a qualified historian. We can call back everything and remember everything. Normally, very forgetful. All of a sudden, you've got great memory. But the Bible tells us love keeps no record of wrong. Peter Forsythe, 
said this, the first duty of every soul is to find not his freedom, but his master. First find your master. That's where you find real freedom. And the greatest model of forgiveness, I think, is our Lord Jesus himself. On the cross, right, he took all the insults, the humiliation, the abuse, the verbal, physical abuse from the people and the leaders all around him. They inflicted all that on him. And then Jesus declared on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's a model for us. And then Peter, that's why Paul challenged us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourself with what? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with one another. Forgive each other. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's the key. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That is the root of true forgiveness. We forgive as the Lord forgave us. And here's the thing I have for you, my friends. Forgiveness is not rooted in the goodness of man's heart. It is rooted in the grace of God. Only by the grace of God can we forgive. We forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. Because we have received forgiveness from God, that's why we find the grace to forgive others. Because the truth is, it is impossible to forgive from our own heart. You know, it is abnormal to not keep account of wrongs. It is human to want to retaliate and to get even. But by the grace of God, we can forgive because we have been forgiven. Amen. Proverbs 19, verse 11, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is his glory to overlook an offence. Now, you may ask, you know, why should I keep overlooking an offence? You know, why, why should I return good for evil all the time? Why should I keep forgiving? Why? Peter said, it is because this is our calling. Tell you why you should forgive. If you are going through a terrible relationship right now and you are wondering, Pastor Benny, how can I even forgive under my circumstance? I tell you, it's because this is our calling. We are called to do this. And this is what will lead to a blessing as well. You look at um, verse, uh, verse 9 now. First Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Listen to this. On the contrary, Peter said, repay evil with blessing. Why? Because to this you were called. You were called to repay e good for evil. See, you were called to do that so that you may inherit a blessing. If we were to live according to who God is and what God says, it will bring His blessing. What is this blessing like? First Peter chapter 3, verse 10 to 12 goes on to say this. It says, For whoever would love life and see good days, you must keep his tongue from evil, their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil, do good, seek peace, pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his, eyes, his ears are attentive to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Do you know this whole passage is actually lifted out of Psalms 34, verse 12 to verse 16. And it's challenging us. If you want to see good days, how many of you want to see good days in your life? We do, right? If you want to see good days in your life, if, then, then he says, we need to watch our words and to watch our deeds. 
Why? Because God is also listening to our words and watching our deeds. Look at verse 13 and 14 of 1 Peter 3. Who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Listen, here's the application. If all of us were to watch our words, watch our deeds carefully, they are the keys, our words and our deeds, they are the keys to preserve relationships, both inside the church and outside the church. Are you with me? That's what Peter is saying. How do you build relationship? How do you build relationship within the family, in the church, and even with pre-believers? The key is this, watch your words and watch your deeds. Inside the church, if we watch our words, we say to one another, the deeds we do towards one another, carefully, it will preserve our family relationship. It will keep us united in Christ. Outside of the church, if we watch our words and our deeds carefully, it will preserve our integrity and our uprightness. Now, this does not mean, therefore, that the world will always love us. But if you watch your words and you watch your deeds, they must at least respect us. They may not agree with what you say, they may not agree with what you do, but they will at least have to respect you. You see? And we may still be understood. In the world, we can still suffer and be persecuted. But even if that happens, we are still blessed. Why? Because God is going to be with us. You see? And that is why we will not be intimidated. That's why we need not fear. So Peter ends off by saying this in verse 15 to 17. He says, But in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. That's the root. Okay, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you, your good behaviour in Christ, may be ashamed of their slander. You see, they have to respect you for it because you watch your words and you watch your deeds. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You know, I was just reflecting, you know, the other day, how should we seek, as we are seeking to engage, right, with pre-believers on societal issues through our Insights webinar, it is wonderful to be able to respond to our pre-believing friends who embrace a different value system from us. So if we are really serious about engaging our pre-believing friends on these issues and to generate more light than heat, then we must really do what 1 Peter 3 is teaching us here. What should our approach be? What is the posture of our heart? What is our disposition when we engage with those that are outside of our church family? I think it's always to do it with respect. Do it with respect. Watch your words and watch our deeds because in our hearts, we must revere Christ as Lord. Okay, but at the same time, while we are being respectful we, and to, to agree to disagree and all of that, we must also remember one thing, that ultimately we must revere Christ as Lord. In other words, we cannot compromise who God is and what God says. He is Lord and therefore we must take reference from God and give deference to God. It is not my opinion, it's not your opinion that matters. It is what God says in His Word that matters. Why? Because truth is absolute. Truth is absolute. You know, truth by its very nature is exclusive. And this truth that we all uphold 
this word of God that we uphold cannot be twisted, it cannot be bent, it cannot be diluted. So study the word of God, my friends, and know the truth. My, my encouragement, go through all the basic courses in Equip. Lay a strong and firm foundation for yourself. Be very clear about what you believe and why you believe what you believe. And then you declare it to the world with gentleness and respect. See, why? Because the truth can hurt, but the bearer of truth must not be hurtful. We should not be hurtful people, although the truth may hurt. So we always share with gentleness and respect. Always seek to tell the truth kindly, respectfully. And if the messenger is offensive, if I'm offensive, the message can be lost. So therefore, let's do it with kindness and let's do it with respect. And then we can have a clear conscience before God. And then if we suffer, if they still get upset with us, it's okay. We know we are suffering for good and not for evil. I want to encourage all of us, don't shrink away from sharing the truth. Be bold to tell the truth, but do it with gentleness, do it with respect. So right principles with right posture. Right principles, right posture. And I think we'll be able to engage the world. Let me end by saying this. Peter had painted for us six beautiful snapshots of what the church family is meant to look like. We are meant to be a united family, a sympathetic family, a loving family, a caring family, a humble family, and a forgiving family. And it makes total sense because if a church is divided, can you imagine if the opposite is true? If we are divided, selfish, unloving, uncaring, proud, malicious, do you want to join a family like that? Of course not. <laughs> of course not. Yeah? And therefore, to build a family like this, all of us need to play a part. And we all need to do, we all need to undergo an inner transformation from the inside out. It takes a re-engineering in all of our hearts to be able to live like this. But where does it all begin? How can I begin to even get near to this? I think the theological anchor for this passage is really found in 1 Peter 3, 15. Take this home with you. 1 Peter 3, 15 says, But in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. Nothing will happen until this takes place in your life and in my life. How many of you agree? I can have this beautiful picture of all we want to be and can be, but it's not going to happen until every one of us make a commitment that we will revere God, we will revere Christ as Lord of our life. My question for all of us is this, you know, is Jesus truly the Lord of your life? We can never be united, loving, caring, compassionate, humble, forgiving family until we dethrone self from our heart. My challenge for all of us this morning is this. Whatever you may be going through, however your relationships may be, die to yourself and let Jesus be king over your circumstances, desires, feelings, passions, relationships and direction. Whatever you may be going through this morning, however bad your circumstances may be, will you die to yourself that Christ may live through you? Will you live that surrendered life and declare, Lord, I don't understand everything, but not my will, but yours be done. Will you trust Jesus all the way? Will you be willing to go all in, no turning back? If you are, 
you can come and lay yourself at the altar one more time and say, Lord, I die to all these passions and feelings. I die to all this anger and, and things inside of me so that Christ may live through me. Amen. Stand together with me, would you? Those of you who are watching City Campus and CLC, join us as we respond to the Word of the Lord this morning. And together, why don't we all stand and let's all begin to sing. Sing this song as our worship leader leads us. And then in a few moments, I want to encourage you as, you. as you think about the situations and the circumstances in your life, there, there could be relationships that are so challenging to you. It brings you anger and frustration. But today, would you say, God, I die to myself. I cannot do this. I ask you to come and live through me. Help me to love the people I cannot love. Help me to forgive the people I find so hard to forgive. You die to yourself and let Christ live in us. And we will stand together with you and trust God together with you. I'm going to pray for us that, that God will really make us into a family that can live out these things that the Apostle Peter taught us. And I sent you away with this one thing in your heart, revere Christ as Lord so that these things can come to pass. And then after that, I dismiss you. We will take time to minister to this they are in front. So would you receive the benediction this morning? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for making us a family. Lord, I pray that as each one of us revere Christ as Lord, as each one of us seek to die to ourselves and let you be king in all of our lives, Lord, you help us to really live out what it means to be a community. Lord, teach us to be loving and caring. Teach us to be compassionate and make us one in you. And Father God, send us away seeking to live this devoted life. Thank you, Lord. Now, may the love of the Father, the peace of His Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit go with us. Amen and amen. Amen. Hallelujah.